Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. And a 
guy by the name of Octavian revolted against Rome, and there was a big battle in Philippi, and Octavius won, and he eventually became emperor, and he renamed the city back to Philippi. Okay? And when he became emperor, he said, Philippi is a great place to have all the Roman games. And so a big amphitheater was built and a big running track, and it became a very cosmopolitan uh, sort of place. And as Paul is running through the places in his various missionary journeys, because Paul became a missionary to the Gentiles, he came to Philippi around 52 AD. Now from 41 to 54 AD, there was all this construction going on, and there was a lot of workers being brought in. So when Paul first visited Philippi in 52 AD, there were a lot of people more than the city because there were workers that were being imported. So there were rich people who had gotten rich off of the gold and the fishing and the building of Philippi, and there were also the common laborers that were brought in by ship or by horseback into the city to build up all this Roman gaming stuff. And what Paul found was that more than anywhere else in his missionary journeys, the people of Philippi just fell all over themselves to accept the gospel. They thought it was the greatest thing. Some people who were very rich because of where Philippi was and the Romans said, yes, that is filling a need in my life. You had the workers that were going from town to town building things, and they said, yes, this gives me purpose, this gives me meaning, this gives me understanding. And so more for reasons that only God knows, he had created an atmosphere in Philippi that Paul found more receptive people to the gospel than he found anywhere else in the world, that he had traveled. And so he leaves the gospel there, he plants many churches. Now, back in the time of Paul, a church met in a home. If you were a church and met it was in somebody's home, and you would go from house to house spreading the gospel, and when he found somebody receptive to open their home, then every Sunday, people would come to their home. And then if the group grew too big, they would divide the group and go to other homes. Christians did not get their own buildings like this until the 350s AD, when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, made Christianity the only religion able to be practiced, the mandatory religion in the Roman Empire, and therefore all of these temples to various Greek and Roman gods emptied out because those religions were now illegal by edict of the emperor. And the Christians said, hey, wait a minute, we're meeting in this house, there's a big building over there that seats several hundred, and so they took over the temple buildings, and those were the first Christian church buildings. And then as the Roman uh, 
became more and more Christian, they built all these big cathedrals that you see on maps and on uh, Discovery Channel and things of this nature. And so Philippians met in homes, and so when it says that Paul planted churches, he was actually planting them into homes. And so Paul goes around and he offends enough people that after his first missionary journey, he's arrested. And he's arrested for the first time, he was arrested twice, this is the first time he's arrested. He visited Philippi in 52, around 60 AD, he's in prison, he writes this letter. He writes a letter that is full of joy while he's in prison. That's just something to think about how God works. And so he's in prison and people visit him. It starts by saying Paul and Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. He was a he was born into a family where the grandmother and his mother were Christian. His father, we don't know, is Roman, so he's a Roman name, uh, kind of a Greek-Roman name. And so he writes this letter, and Timothy is visiting him. And so he says, Paul and Timothy. He says, servants. Now the word there is doulos. Doulos is a word that is throughout the New Testament. It can be servant, it can be slave, but we believe it means here is bondservant. Now, what is a bondservant? A bondservant is, if I owe you money for some reason, you do something for me and I owe you $10,000, I can offer to work it off. I will work it off by becoming your servant, by doing your housework, by doing your shopping, by doing your cooking, by in essence being your slave until you tick off $10,000 that I paid and then I have the opportunity to say I'm done working for you and to move on. This was a big practice in the Old Testament as people would uh, find passage from here to there. Uh, we find people coming to America back in the early times, for example, went into debt because of their passage, and then while they were here, for a period of years, they were a servant or a slave in a household to pay off the debt. In the Old Testament, you also had that practice where people were paying off debts by working as a servant or a slave, and the, the ability for a person to work for many years and then say, but I love this family. I want to be a part of this family. My debt is paid off, but the Old Testament gives us a law which says I can now be adopted into that family even as an adult. I can continue to be in that family even though my debt is paid off. And so this is a well-known practice as a, and a well-known word. And so when Paul says they are bondservants of Christ Jesus, you have to say, what does this mean? Well, if you look at what Jesus has done, 
in a true and accurate way. There are words that we use to talk about Jesus Christ on the cross. One of them is redemption. We are redeemed. We are redeemed from sin. We are redeemed from the kingdom of darkness. Redeemed means to pay a price. So Christ paid a price on the cross that paid for our redemption. And so when we look at how much Christ paid, what Christ paid, we say we have incurred a debt to God because Christ has paid so much for me. To save me, it cost Jesus something. And the theology behind that is, I am now in debt to God. And so Paul and Timothy are bondservants. They are saying they are working off their debt to God. They're working off their debt to Jesus Christ because of the great things he has done. Now, they will never, I will never, you will never pay all that off. We are saved by grace. So even working after the fact, we cannot work enough to pay God back. So at the end of time, when we're all standing before Jesus Christ on the throne, he, there will be no demanding of debt payment. There will be no us having to give him something because he knows that we're saved by grace, we just have to accept that we're saved by grace. But the mindset, and it's a good Christian mindset, that God has done so many great things, I am in debt to him. And so my functioning throughout the day, my understanding of what I do, needs to be colored by and viewed through the lens of God has done so much for me, I need to try to pay it back, even though I never will. And so we love God because he first loved us. We serve God because he first served us. We sacrifice for God because he first sacrificed for us. And that is just the mindset of how I choose to do things throughout the day. Then we look at Timothy, and who is Timothy? If we understand in 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul says that he's the one that brought Timothy to the Lord, that it was Paul who witnessed to Timothy, and Timothy accepted Christ. And Timothy, coming from Christian knowledge, at least, and how he was raised, becomes a a very active Christian at this point. He listens to everything that Paul says. He's a great studier of the Bible. And you have the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy were written by Paul in his second imprisonment and his final imprisonment to Timothy, who had just become a pastor of a house church in Ephesus. And so Paul is giving him continued advice on how to be a good Christian leader, how to be a good pastor. So from, from inception, Paul witnesses to Timothy. 
Timothy accepts all the way up to at the end of Paul's life. He is, Timothy is the pastor of a church in Ephesus, which was a very uh, worldly city, very difficult place to be a pastor. He was able to even guide him into this career, if you will, of being a pastor. Then Paul says, in the second part of verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now when you think of saint, many people will think of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is a saint. Mother Teresa is a person who gave her life to serve the poor people of Calcutta. And when she passed away, the Catholic Church said, Dang, you're a saint. What, what happens today is that some groups will say they have the, the corner on who is a saint and who is not. And that if you do good enough, if you work hard enough, if you prove yourself good enough, then you'll get saint on your tombstone after you pass away. According to the Bible, and according to Jesus, and according to Paul, and everybody else who writes and is talked about in the New Testament, once you accept Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Saint is a word that literally means set apart for a specific purpose. And if you accept Jesus Christ, if you are truly saved, you are, in God's mind at least, set apart for a specific purpose. You are set apart for the service of God, for the service to Jesus Christ. And so, you and I are saints. Everybody who truly believes in Jesus Christ is a saint. We are saints. And so, we can think of us that way, that I am, and this is part of a Christian mindset, is that I am set apart by God for a purpose, and I can wake up in the morning and look at my day, and I can say, well, what is that purpose that God has set me aside for? Well, that answer is throughout the New Testament. It's also in the book of Philippians. We will discover it. But we can say, if I am set apart by God for this purpose, are these ten things I've got to do today fulfilling that purpose, pointing to that purpose? If I look at the end of it, the end of my day, I look at my, what I've done. Can I say from what I've done, from how I've spent my time, does that point to any particular purpose? Now, if you're in the world, your purpose is get lots of money, or have lots of people like you, or be famous, or these various things that are presented to you hourly to have as a purpose in your life. But no, God says, he paid a price, remember you're a bondservant, he paid a price for you to be saved, in responding to that debt, you have a purpose. You are set aside, apart, not part of the main group. You are pulled out of the main group and put in the uh, smaller group. You're taken away from the wide path to the narrow path. That is how Jesus talked about salvation. The world is in the wide path. 
Christians are in the narrow path. Our purpose is in the narrow path. And so, in Philippi, after Paul had done his missionary journey there, he probably planted a dozen or more, many churches in houses. There were probably, uh, you know, 12, 15, we don't know, based on the population of uh, Philippi at that time. We know the later it became huge. Christianity really exploded in Philippi. But at this point, let's say he planted 10 churches, 10 houses that had people every Sunday meet in them. When he writes a letter to the saints at Philippi, he's writing to them all. He's writing to the group of Christians, what he would call the church. If there's 12 buildings where people meet on Sunday, Paul would call that one church, one Philippian church. It's just the way he thought about things. Today we have First Baptist here, Cornerstone Fellowship there, St. John there, and we all have different names and we're parts of different groups. But back then, if you had believers meeting in ten houses, it was one church. And so he'd write a letter to that group. He'd write a letter to the group at Corinth. He'd write a letter to a group at Rome. And they would, in Philippi, take the letter and pass it around. They would start copying it so that this house and that house could both have a copy. And as they began to copy it and it began to be more popular, it is from these copies and the number of copies, the back when they decided what was going in the Bible, that determined it. If they got, if the Philippians got a letter from John, you know, Joe Schmo guy who claims to be an apostle, and it didn't go anywhere, if they never read it, if it wasn't copied, then that is one of the evidences that things should be in the Bible. So when we come to Philippians, and through all the evidence of finally getting around to putting the Bible in a book, there's literally thousands of copies that are all the same of the book of Philippians that people have passed around for all these years. And so when he's saying to all the saints, he's talking about those who are saved in various churches. And he says with the overseers and deacons, overseers is another word for pastor, what you would have in a house church is you would have a pastor, a teaching person, a person who was able to teach would teach the group in this house. The house also had deacons. Deacons in the time of Paul were people who would take care of the needs of the congregation. So you would have people come to this house church who perhaps had been uh, in prison with Rome or lost a job or had a sickness or something of this nature. And they had needs, and it was the deacons who were able to help those needs and to collect for them and things of this nature, while the overseers would teach the Bible, teach out of the book of Philippians. You would also, if you had 12 or 15 house churches, you would have overseers over the group. 
Today, we might call them bishops who were uh, pastors over multiple churches. And their purpose would be to find pastors to teach. Let's say you have a new house church, but they've got no teachers. It became the big overseer's job to find and bring a pastor and put them in there. They would also collect and manage the money for missionary work so that all the churches, all the buildings in Philippi could give to one central missionary effort. And so he's writing to these people who oversee and who manage the people, the leadership of the Philippi church. He then has what we might call an ending at the beginning, back in the time of Paul, you did all of your sincerely stuff at the beginning, and we put it at the end. Yes, that's just the way of time is. He says, grace to you and peace from our God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are talking to Christians, if you are talking to new Christians, one of the things that you've got to instill in their minds is that they are saved by grace and they gain the peace of God. And so to wish, and Paul does this a lot, James does it, they wishes people grace and peace. It is kind of a standard back in that, those days Christian greeting. Today we say, hey, how you doing? We say, happy new year. We say, merry Christmas. We say all sorts of stuff, but if you're meeting a person you know is saved, you can biblically say grace and peace to you today because that is a great thing that Christians have in common and that we can share with one another and it certainly isn't worldly. The world's not going to offer you grace or the world's certainly not going to offer you peace and so it's kind of an inside thing that we say to one another and there's evidence that they did that back then. That as they're walking down the street and they see somebody from their church, they say, grace and peace to you. And they would say, also to you. And that has become, in you know, many liturgies, even do that today. And so Paul says that the grace comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying that we don't have any of this. We don't have the church, we don't have the family, we don't have salvation unless God gives us grace and peace. And so throughout the rest of the book, Paul talks about why as Christians we should be full of joy. We should have joy unspeakable. We should have joy more than anything else. It is the focus of joy. Now Paul's in prison. And he writes a book, and this is the only book of the whole Bible, one out of 66, it is the only book of the whole Bible that has no rebuke. He doesn't correct anything they believe, he doesn't correct anything they say. He just says, take what you're doing and do more of it. Take what you're doing and expand it. Take what you're doing and have more joy. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just praise you for Paul and the letter to the Philippians and pray that you will.
continue to guide us as we delve into this great and mighty book. I pray that you would give us wisdom, you would give us understanding, and you would cause us to ponder how we live versus how they do. Lord, we thank you for all these things and ask your blessing upon this time. We ask this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.